The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this man comes up to Jesus to ask a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a very appropriate question, a pretty good one, or it seems. And of course, Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. Which, by the way, is Jesus kind of giving a little bit of a, um, he's kind of admitting that he is God, but the man doesn't quite catch on to it. And the man doesn't, also doesn't realize that he isn't good. He doesn't quite catch on to that part either. And so Jesus tells him, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall honor your father and your mother. It's kind of interesting the way Jesus, go, what order he goes in. You figure, because you notice, he went five, six, seven, eight, and then he rounded all the way back to four. You figure he would have gone four, five, six, seven, eight. But see, it's the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. That's pretty easy to say, oh yeah, I'm pretty confident I know whether or not I murdered someone. That's pretty easy to keep track of. The second one, Commit, you shall not commit adultery again. Still pretty easy to keep track if you've kept it or not. You shall not steal, same deal, pretty easy to keep track of. Then you get to bear false witness. Whether or not you've ever lied about another human being. Uh, now we're getting a little bit tougher. And then the fifth one, he says, honor your father and your mother. I think we could pretty confidently say we have not perfectly honored our parents. But this man is convinced he has. He says, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus could have gone through it all. He could have even pulled out, gone back to his Sermon on the Mount and explained the depth of what it means to not commit murder. But he doesn't. Instead he says to him, there is one thing you lack. Take everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, this little text, this response by Jesus, is a very commonly abused passage. For some reason, the last year I've seen a lot of pastors and others try to misuse this text. Because when they read that and they say, ah, see, unless you are giving, unless you give X amount of dollars, you cannot be a real Christian or you will not be saved. Which granted, yes, Christians are supposed to be charitable, to be giving, but it is not tied to your salvation. You do that because of your salvation. But sometimes people will tie it to their salvation. But here, I'm going to tell you, the three most important rules for reading your Bible. So I don't know if you need a pen or a pencil to keep track of this. It's going to be a really tough to keep track on this one. So number one, 
context. So in other words, when you look at the passage, you've got to look at what's going on around it. What prompted the Jesus to say what he said? What are the surrounding circumstances? So you've got to look at context. That's number one. Number two is context. <laughs> and can anybody guess what number three is? It's context. So context, context, context. Those are your most, that's the most important rules for reading your Bible. So you look at the context of Jesus saying what he says. He does not say that to the disciples. He doesn't say that to the surrounding crowds. The only person he tells that to is the man who asked, what must I do to be saved? And so what, and he is a man who is convinced that he is keeping God's commandments. So Jesus has given him an option. You can either have your earthly treasures or heavenly treasure. Which did he choose? Heavenly treasure. He chose earthly treasure, sorry. Jesus was highlighting his sin. Jesus was showing that he was not righteous enough, he was not good enough, because his earthly treasures, his possessions, had become his God. And Jesus knew it. And so then he leaves very disheartened. Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Which, by the way, if you, are, if you are an American, that is a very relevant statement to you. Because the average income for the, the entire world is $2,000 a year. Poverty level in the United States, I think it's somewhere around, like, what, $23,000 a year or something like that? Somebody that knows more than me can probably correct that. But either way, if you are at poverty level in the United States, you are significantly more wealthy than the average person around the world. So if you're an American, you're rich. You may not be rich compared to other Americans, but compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. And so Jesus said, continues, he says, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is, more, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And so, there you go, you got a little humorous cartoon if you ever try to imagine. How do you get a camel through the eye of a needle? So, if anybody wants to go home and want to go to the Omaha Zoo with the needle and try to test it out or whatever. But, and then he's, and so the disciples hear Jesus say this. Which actually, by the way, that's evidence Jesus has a sense of humor, that he used that comparison. Because I guarantee you that somebody's like, that's an interesting thought. So, but the disciples hear it. And after hearing everything that Jesus had told them throughout the years that they have been with him, they know that the Pharisees are not righteous enough to be saved. They know that the scribes are not righteous enough to be saved. 
They know that the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, they are not righteous enough to be saved. And now they know that the wealthy are not righteous enough to be saved. And that is when Peter gets a little bit closer to the right question. Who then can be saved? And Jesus gives a response. With man this is impossible. But not with God. With God all things are possible. Which by the way that is another verse that gets misused a lot. So that verse, I cannot count how many times I've heard that verse used to tell you about how you are going to get the, you're going to get the job of your dreams. You're going to accomplish everything that you've ever wanted. Or a lot of times it is a really popular verse for sports. With God are all things possible, so therefore you're going to win that big game this weekend. Remember, Jesus just got done telling you that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into eternity. So do you think in the very next breath he is going to tell you how you can have your dreams accomplished? Or is he asking a much bigger, much more important question? He is answering the question that Peter just asked. Who then can be saved? And Jesus is giving the answer. The question that the, man, the rich man originally asked, what must I do to be saved, was the wrong question. Because with man, if it's what you are going to do, it is impossible. But with God, all is possible. Specifically, your salvation is possible. See, that is why Jesus, remember he began when he did that whole thing? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good alone. Which, I kind of, there's a, if anybody follows, any of our youth are connected to my Instagram, there's a great little meme that somebody posted where it shows the little, like, somebody doing a wink, like, kind of like, Jesus, like, like, hey, I'm God. Yeah, I am the one that is good. I am God. The man doesn't catch it. So why is God walking around in this fleshly, per, these, this meat of bones and flesh and everything that is Jesus? Well, he did that. He was born of, that, of the virgin in order that he would, be, he would suffer under Pontius Pilate, be crucified, die, and be buried, and on the third day rise from the dead, so that by his death, by his blood shed on the cross, that which was impossible for you, impossible for man, is made possible, and salvation is for those who are his children, those whom he has called and have received grace by, by grace through faith. By his blood, the impossible is made possible. And he goes even farther. So at one time or another, you might have been brought, you were probably brought, hopefully brought, to a place like this, the baptismal font. So, you're brought there, and there's probably some water, we usually, the water we have in there, we do not go to some like sacred mountain and get the most, the best water in the world, 
No, we get the water probably from, usually from the sacristy right back there. So it's good old Ida Grove tap water. And so you can decide whether or not it's the best water in the world. But I'm guessing there's probably more better water or whatever. And yet, with that simple tap water, combined with the words, in the name of the Father, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, it seems impossible that that would do anything. And yet, with God, that say, baptism now saves. That's what Peter writes in his first epistle. Baptism now saves through simple water. And literally any water. That's why you hear there's even stories in, on the battlefields, especially in the trenches, where people where they would, chaplains would even use their own saliva to baptize. Because that's all they had. And God, with the water and the word, saves. Or perhaps you come up to the altar, or you come to the altar, and you hear, we give you bread. Now, we don't give you Panera bread. We don't give you the, bre the best bread from the best bakery that we can find. We give you those little wafers, which some people really do like. But we give you that bread, and we say, take, eat. This is the body of Jesus broken for you. And then we take wine, little cup of wine. Again, not the best wine in the world. And last week, our, during Bible class, our youth told, us, our, my, told me their opinions on the wine. So, <laughs> we'll give you that wine. And yet, and I'll say, take drink. This is the blood of Jesus shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's impossible. It's impossible that... That simple bread, that simple wine would do anything. And yet, that is the body of Jesus. That is the blood of Jesus. And by it, your sins are forgiven. Your faith is strengthened. So you may walk through this world strengthened by the power of God. What is impossible for man, God makes possible. Or, I don't know if... One of the things that most pastors are aware of is that the month of October is what we call, what is called Pastors Appreciation Month. Which we as pastors, which I don't know who started, it's probably somebody that needed to sell greeting cards or something. But pastors usually have a weird relationship with this day. But one of the things as pastors we appreciate is this incredible reality that we will, we will, there are people that are far more handsome than us. There are people who can preach more eloquently than us. There is a James Bond movie out right now that I guarantee it is going to be more entertaining than anything we could ever possibly do in here. I don't think our budget could cover explosions in the service yet. So we're not going to have anything of that level. And yet our God with the seemingly simple and foolishness that is me, through hearing, what com faith comes by what? Hearing. And we are saved by grace through faith. And through this word, and this is, by the way, I was talking to the kids about this. Like I said, this is why it's the same color. 
It's a reminder to the pastors that we are replaceable. It's a reminder that the power does not, the, the power, the effectiveness is not in me. It is in the word. It is in Christ who does the impossible with people such as me. And if pastors, and sometimes pastors, we get, we get to a sermon. Now, some services are easy, easier than others. But there's, there's pastors, I don't know if you know this, but some pastors, they get so nervous before a service on Sunday that they'll actually throw up. I know pastors that do that just about every week. They throw up before the service because they get so nervous. And so, but the thing is, the confidence that we can remember we are reminded, and this is actually why you always say to us, we say, Divine Service 3, by the way, I like this response much better. We say, the Lord be with you. What's the older response? We said it today. And with thy spirit. I like that response much better. That it got changed back in the 70s, and they went with it also with you. But before the 1970s, it was always and with thy spirit. It is a reminder to the pastor do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit, God is with you in spirit as you read the scriptures, as you proclaim the word. Remember that God preached a thumping good sermon through a donkey. He can do it through you. Trust in the Holy Spirit. He makes what is impossible possible. Salvation so the man asked the question, what must I do to be saved? That was the wrong question. The question he should have said to Jesus is, what are you going to do to be saved? And he would tell him what he's been telling his disciples for weeks and they're not picking up on it, is he is going to suffer, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to be buried, and he's going to rise on the third day. And that is how he saves you. That's how he does the impossible. And through his, the baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through the proclamation of the word, he delivers salvation. He delivers the impossible unto you. Which, by the way, if you ever wonder why, you, why it's so important to be here every week, is because the devil is always trying to snatch that away from you. And so you come again and again to be fed again and again. And yes, I, like I said, there are far more engaging things out there. But this is going to do far more to you. The power of the word, the power of the sacraments, the power of God's promise is greater than anything you will find in this world. And by the way, it is working even if you don't feel it. You can't feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. If you feel it, it might be a really good tune. If you ever want to test this, think of the song Hallelujah. You get the feels with it. But if you read the theme of that song, it is not at all Christian. It is very erotic. We'll just go with that. So, that your emotions, or it could be what you ate that morning. You don't feel the Holy Spirit. 
He is working whether you know it or not. And so we come, we are fed, as he does the impossible in you. And what do you do as the bell rings and you go out? You deliver the impossible to the world, that they may hear of their Jesus. Because as our seventh graders, I don't, I don't have seventh grade. I don't know if I have a seventh grader here or not, but you are all missionaries. Go into that mission field with the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.